0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fabulous Free Verse Friday edition of the Good News Journal. (laughs) I said that last time, too. Good News Journal is what I write on my blog every day. I should drop a link in there with all of my podcasts, because if you enjoy any of the information that I'm sharing here, I have a feeling you'll probably get a kick out of my blog. Um, Anyway, that's www.vondandvisuals.com for those who are. And... This is the Kingdom of God podcast. Uh, and thank you very much for being here. This is the Free Verse Friday edition. Uh, I do the Free Lance Friday edition on my blog. Um, pen is mightier than the sword, right? Well, the pen is the sword, it's the lance uh, that cuts through, you know, their legal fiction. You got to have a good pen, man, ship. Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, that's just a little bit of uh, wordplay for you to start off this Free Verse Friday because that's kind of the idea to my shows on Friday. I'm just going to be talking about whatever. I do have some notes here to be discussing uh, for my show City Programs, Intro Public Trust, and fiduciary Obligations. So those are some of the things that I'm going to be touching on. Those are my point form notes for the call today. Uh, beyond that, uh, we might be checking out what's going on on Twitter. I'm going to be telling you what's going on in my microcosm. Uh, I do have some exciting news at uh, the unguru, I'm going to have to use some updates for you on that. I'm going to also have some updates on uh, legal action that I'm going to be taking in my microcosm. So that's all coming up on today's show. And yeah having a lot of fun doing these and um yeah i don't know i'm grateful to have you as an audience uh thank you for being here hope you enjoy tonight's show all right everyone welcome back and uh yeah happy free verse friday uh so i'm gonna start right off the bat with uh you know, my my point form notes here, uh, city programs. uh, I said I was gonna be talking about that and every idea that's inspired for today's show is relative to something that's going on in my microcosm in some way, shape or form. And for that reason, it is also, I think, uh, beneficial, perhaps as uh, um, a tool maybe for other people, with respect to self-governance, because, uh, you know, these are real-life situations that I'm talking about, and these are the specific uh, things that that deals with. Um, You know, city programs, for example, uh, like the fiduciary programs that right now um, I'm in receipt of. And without getting into too many details, I am only going to state for now that The subsidy I am receiving was the result of an application to the divisional court that I filed because um, decisions made by the city, by housing services, the same, very same organization I'm having issues with today, um, were basically stating that I could not uh, apply for their program or be, be eligible for a subsidy. Uh, if I was not using government issued ID and, you know, they wouldn't budge on that. And so I did file a lawsuit against them. And, you know, that's how, that's how basically, well, I can't say that's how things got started, but that's how housing got started for me. And the agreement there, I didn't actually proceed with the entire uh, review before the divisional court. I, I filed an application to the divisional court. I, uh, Received a response from the city saying that they wanted to respond to that application and stated that, uh, well, a number of things that had previously been conveyed to me were not the case. So basically, they said that they hadn't finished their investigation yet. And so that's why they hadn't determined, you know, what kind of action they were going to take because they hadn't fully investigated my complaint yet. And that was it pretty much. And, and I responded to them and said, okay, well, if that's the case, you've had more than enough time to do it. So uh, I think that it's more than reasonable to give you an additional 30 days to have it completed so that you can have, you know, and for me to review. And I want to know what kind of fixes are being made and, you know, whatever, what kind of remedy is, is going to be offered, I suppose. And so, I also made one of the conditions be that uh, they recognize that they do have a duty and a responsibility to provide people with, you know, dignified Mm -hmm. housing. And they did acknowledge that, more or less. Uh, I made the demand on my blog, in fact, and stated to them in an email that if they agreed to the the demands that I was making on my block and that was one of them was to make sure that I was immediately approved for the subsidy program so that I could you know get into housing because by not doing so I said that they were causing me further harm excuse me Um, anyway uh, so those city programs are a fiduciary obligation of the government of Canada. Now, the reason that there is a housing services program in Ottawa, where I'm at right now, is because the city council here decided that you know, uh, the Constitution of Canada, if you will, or the Bill of Rights, or whatever it is that determines what, what people are entitled to in Canada, uh, has determined that people in Canada are not, that they basically determined that housing is not a basic right. They have determined that shelter is a basic right. And shelter is not the same as dignified housing, obviously, right? And so that's where emergency shelters come in. So because everybody has a right to shelter, the government has a right to place people who don't have housing into shelters and the shelters that are providing that service um, are fulfilling an obligation on behalf of the government because they have to guarantee certain things um, in exchange for the citizenship contract like that's basically the most basic way i can think to explain you know how the entire governmental system works simplified you know and i'm not trying to condescend anybody who might be listening to this show either reply that i don't think you know how government works i'm just uh i'm basically just spelling out how the economic aspect of this comes into play with respect to a sovereign nation because those uh charities like the salvation army the reason that the government can write those off and and we often hear that right like you know all not for profit you get a write-off, you get a tax write-off from the government if you donate to um, something like the Salvation Army. And the reason for that is because it's not the Salvation Army as an organization that has the fiduciary obligation to provide that service. It's the Canadian government that actually has that legally binding obligation. And because they're not doing it, A charity is recognizing that that is not being done and offering their services for shelter and because that's recognized as being a necessity um, and an obligation the Canadian government can write it off so they basically keep the receipt and sign it and that would go down and be entered onto the books as a deposit because it was an obligation. So if there's a need to do it, it has value. That's what it means. Um, And that's the easiest way to explain it is that the obligation was, you know, it was deemed somewhere along the way, even though it's nowhere near enough, just conceptually speaking, um, it was determined that the people of Canada, that the government of Canada has an obligation to provide basic shelter for Canada's people. If that comes at an economic cost, and you know, then the government has an obligation if that service is there, and the only thing that's stopping that service from being available to the individual is the cost, then the government can write that off. So that's basically how that works. And it and that's also why it works as a benefit toward taxes, because, like I said, that counts as money. If that's what I was trying to get to, is that they recognize that that right has a value, you know, basic shelter, that's that's a value to the Canadian government. It's a value to the people of Canada, if you will. It's not so much benefit to the government of Canada, except that they're getting away with murder by giving out so little. <laughs> but I mean, that's really what it is. They're recognizing that the people have a certain degree of value and that service has a particular value. And so that's what the government is doing when it receives a receipt from an institution like the Salvation Army, and the Governor General or whatever signs off on it, that does actually become a legal and lawful bill of exchange the same way as any piece of money would be for the face value. And so it gets entered onto the books as a deposit. And it's a secure deposit because it's already taken place, it's done, and now the Governor General or whoever it is that signs off on that it would probably be the finance minister, I would think, in Canada. And this is what I mean. These are the, that, those kind of things are like the details I don't necessarily know 100%. I don't know if it's the finance minister who signs off on that. Uh, I think there might even be two people that are required the governor general and somebody else. Uh, but anyway, that, that's what happens with, with charities. And so the government or the city council in this case with housing services, what happened there is that the city council members, in their own um, independent jurisdiction, so they're almost operating sovereign. The city of Ottawa is almost operating like a sovereign state within the province of Ontario, declaring to the province of Ontario and the minister of the province or whoever else that they believe that, you know, the citizens of Ottawa deserve to be in dignified housing. And so they would like to set up a housing program to afford for that belief in right. Okay, they all vote on it and they believe that that should be a minimum standard in the city of Ottawa. So this is how change happens, and that's why the the program is, on its face, very, very good. And this is why it's going to be somewhat controversial that I am going to be suing them, because that is what I'm going to be doing in the very near future, because they're literally threatening now that I've been in my home for a year. They're now threatening to revoke the subsidy and basically have me go back out onto the street exclusively because I don't have a renewal package that they haven't sent to me, or, or I haven't returned a renewal package that they haven't sent to me. And uh, anyway, um, so the point to talking about this was an introduction to the public trust, which is point number two on my list here today. And Uh, The public trust is basically used, and it would essentially, on a large scale, to simplify the idea, it would encompass everything. It would encompass all of the things that the people of Canada have determined to be um, basic rights that everybody should have access to. So in Canada, you know, they, they call it basically a free healthcare system, right? Like, you know, Canadians don't have to worry about paying for health insurance or whatever they get the OHIP card, the health card, and you know, they're able to go and see a doctor anytime they want and blah, blah, blah. Uh, because we determined that in Canada, uh, you know, your access to medical care was an equal and basic right. And so any costs that they have for that, they are writing on. And that goes for anything that we determine to be a right. So the greater the the rights are that we create for ourselves, the more things we can actually write off. There's no actual cost to the government for creating new social programs, so long as they're identified as being fiduciary obligations. The only way that the standard of living becomes higher for those people who are subject to emergency shelters and that kind of thing uh, Mm -hmm. is by not demanding better basic human rights, basic standards for human rights. And I'm using the word human because I know that's a word that most people resonate with and understand. And I'm trying to speak in as plain English as I possibly can. Uh, So that's that. Now, uh, the introduction to the public trust is about Any right is paid for so we can increase the standard of living by way of fiduciary obligations um, and increasing the standard of living uh, by creating a new standard. So for example, if we go to the UN covenant and uh, let me think of a good example. Actually, let's not even consider the UN Covenant. Let's let's think of something completely hypothetical because it doesn't really matter what it is. But we'll use housing as a good example. Like right now, in the city of Ottawa, even though they've determined that dignified housing is a basic right, they're still not really affording enough wealth to that. They're not saying, "Yeah, okay, you know, this is how much we'll put in the budget for you to pay." Um, so. And I guess that's kind of one of the complicated details that I wanted to try and explain to people in common terms as well, is that it appears as though it is highly costly to the city of Ottawa because they have to ask for the money from the province to provide for this housing services thing. Right. And this is why i wanted to talk about it because this is where the problem with corporations comes into effect is because because those fiduciary obligations exist the corporations can take advantage of that in some way and the way that they do that perfect example right now is housing services and the situation that they have put me in well they're only affording a maximum of 600 for housing subsidy the minimum uh single occupancy housing price estimated in Ottawa last year was $1,252. So we'll say around 1250 So it's basically half of what it should be. And the people who work there, well, what does it do? It creates new jobs for what? For government, right? For government employees. Where's, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is that government employees that are hired for housing services specifically are not actually generating anything of value for the people of canada they're not producing a good or a resource like farmers do or whatever else science even technology and whatever those they're all producing something you know even a teacher is producing um, you know knowledgeable students it doesn't have to be a physical commodity but the government isn't those people are not generating any new wealth for canada but they are probably i don't know I want to see if I can get the uh, freedom of information on it from the city. We'll find out. But I would be very curious to know how many salaries are being paid out to run the housing services program in government salaries and how much is actually being paid out in subsidy to the people who are in need of that service. Because there's no need to grossly expand government in order to facilitate or accommodate and recognize people's need for dignified housing well you know you could eliminate all of those positions and simply have you know just a, a paperwork process where once somebody's approved you know they have access to X number of dollars and it's just like a phone call to the city and yeah, it qualify you know there wouldn't need to be all of these workers especially if all they're going to do is trespass upon the people and it seems that that's exactly what they want to do uh, And in my particular situation, the reason that it's interesting is because it did not occur to me until I really seriously started thinking about filing, excuse me, it didn't really occur to me until I started seriously thinking about filing my paperwork into the court and what other information I have regarding housing services specifically, that it occurred to me what I had sent back to housing services last year in my renewal form. And again, this is where all of those little details are very, very important. It goes kind of hand in hand with a letter that I shared for the Letters Out Loud series yesterday and one that I wrote about, you know, just really relative to information sharing between my landlord And whatever agencies of the Canadian government they need to verify my income level, you know, they they basically need to prove to the government that I'm poor. And I told them that I'm okay with them calling whatever offices of the Canadian government they need to call or contact in order to verify that information. And that's all I need to do, Um, because that's legal and lawful, you know. And what they try and do is make you, you know, potentially. Jump through all of these tiny little hoops and whatever you can you know in my situation you know they're threatening to to cut me off for not doing something but they also haven't given me a means of being able to uh accommodate that demand and that is in fact what what made me decide this morning that i am absolutely going to file a lawsuit i opened up my wordpress processor for the first time And, uh, you know, Meribut's protection and the National Bank of Canada, they can sit on the back burner for a moment unless they try to bring any action against me or against the property. Uh, That can just sit there and I'll file that into the court potentially next. Um, But right now I'm going to focus on housing services because, uh, yeah, after considering what I did send back to them last year, that package did not come to me by accident, addressed to Von Den Sean, in capital letters. They have no example of my name ever being expressed on any of their documents at any point in time, even in the forms last year. I didn't have to correct anything. There was nothing in the forms that expressed my name in all capital letters. This was directly in response to me after saying nothing for a year. And basically insisting that, you know what, I, I go by, my legal and lawful title is King Sean Houser Von Den and Stephen King of God, and I use that in all my legal documents and correspondences because I do not wish for that to be confused with the legal personality, with the artificial legal personality created by the state known as Sean Von Den, or the name expressed in all capital letters. And they come back the following year after being given notice of that fact for the first time, on the contract, that was a contract last year, and those, that was written specifically on the contract, so their acceptance of it and their approval of my entitlement is absolutely 100% legally and lawfully considered to be a contractual agreement. And I'm, yeah, I'm almost positive I'm gonna have to go and, and check and see exactly what it was that I wrote to them last year. Um, but I'm reasonably sure I told them that uh, I didn't even want to be bothered with the harassment of having to fill out a renewal form every year. I would like them to simply trust that if there is any change in my income or living situation, that I give my word, I will give them notice until then assume, yeah, assume there has been no change and continue to provide me subsidy until I give you further work. I even have a letter from them stating that they will do that, in fact, which I can present to the court, too. So, um, yeah, the reason I wanted to talk about that, though, is because it is absolutely 100 percent relevant to uh, how a sovereign economy uh, basically begins to work. Um, Costs are discharged for value. And if we were starting from scratch, uh, basically what would be done is there would be an assessment, a total assessment of the total resources and, you know, whatever value is given to an apple or something is relatively applied across the board. And you know, so if, if an apple's worth a dollar, then, you know, a steak is worth however many dollars that it would be by comparison or whatever. You, you, you know, it's all fiction, right? And it was initially created, supposedly, the argument for it is that it was meant to be a means of exchange. So if it was only meant to be a means of exchange and not a means for somebody to exploit wealth from another individual, <clears throat> then you only need to take an assessment of the total gross value, whether it's land or whatever, food, um, natural resources. That's what I mean. Natural resources, total, and production, and all that kind of stuff, and how much people need from week to week. And so if you were going to... And and you're going to have, you know, vital statistics that are going to let you know how fast the country is expected to grow and how many people are going to immigrate and that sort of thing. And that is what determines the budget. So um, if you need to build a certain number of houses and like and I'm trying to explain how it would start potentially if you're trying to do it from scratch. But like, you know, so a whole bunch of settlers get there and they've got tools and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, But they're living off the land. They're harvesting berries or doing whatever it is that they would be doing. Until they, you know, build proper houses, you know, living in tents or whatever, until they get proper houses and all that built. If it was necessary to have money, because the truth is, they probably wouldn't even bother in the beginning. They just wouldn't. There wouldn't be any point. Um, Everybody would work together to build all the houses and get the food and whatever, get all the basics secured. And then maybe they would be starting with farming and, and all that kind of industry and getting that going. But... Uh, whatever the continuous jobs were that people needed to do, like farming and delivering the food and, uh, you know, building streets or whatever, making clothes, food, whatever the case may be. Um, there's certain things that would need to be continually maintained, right? And And we recognize and understand that, but there wouldn't be a necessity for every single person to be working 40 or 80 hours. Like, yeah, 40 hours a week, 80 hours every two weeks. Um, because it would be centered around supply and demand and not manufactured belief in demand in order to inflate prices, you know, manufacture demand. Um, you know, with advertising and making things cool and whatever, like there wouldn't be any of that. It would all be about trying to get what everybody in the community needs um, as efficiently as possible to reduce the workforce. That's that's, That's the real wealth, if you wish, in a sovereign economy, is that money would literally just be a means of exchange. It wouldn't be for people to try and get rich off one another or whatever. It would be so that the farmer doesn't have to carry apples down in exchange for a pair of new overalls or whatever. You know what I mean? He'd just be able to, to tend his fields and whatever. And, you know, the amount of compensation he would get for that would be enough to provide food for his family and and provide, like, you know, just enough additional wealth. Well, you know, his, rel- his wealth too would be relative, right? But it would be relative to the overall wealth of the economy. So if he has more than he can build, you know, maybe another orchard or something, I don't know. But the idea is to improve the land that we're living on and make it more prosperous between us. And that makes the quality of life better for everybody. That's more or less the principles. Um, And one of the ways that it could work to switch over from that type of a system to a new one is by establishing higher standards for human life and the quality of life. Just the same way that Housing Services has decided that, you know, dignified housing is a basic right. Well, if we know that, then we can basically skip the middleman. We don't need to ask for approval from the province of Ontario uh you know if there's a hotel that has a vacancy that's dignified then we put the individual in there because we recognize we have an obligation to do that for cannabis people and you know the hotel bill is sent to the finance minister it's endorsed and placed on the books as a deposit okay it also pays back that portion like a portion that much in the value of cannabis debt by the way because it's an actual secure payment so um those receipts that are out of the necessity of the people, okay, are free. Okay. And that's also one of the details that makes it hard for people to understand that uh sovereignty is not about like amassing all kinds of wealth. Um because that you can't do that. You're going back to the land of the and not free, if you will. Um I don't know if that made any sense (laughs) didn't come out quite the way I wanted it to but anyway um, though those are the basic governing principles is that yeah if it's not a need it's a luxury that's basically what I was trying to get at Um, you know food is a need housing dignified housing is a need transportation is a need so we might even agree that we all deserve to have a car for example okay but that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody deserves a Porsche Right, so you would basically have—you could still have all of the capitalist beliefs that you want to have today, but you would just raise the minimum standard so that you know what everybody—you know—the minimum standard of living is a nice house and a car, and that's what the bums get. And uh, you know, if you want to go out and have more, then you get to have the Porsche and you get to have the forty-inch TV instead of the twenty-nine-inch or whatever. I'm speaking hypothetically, but that that's basically the premise. Because rights are paid for. Okay, so everybody has a right to a certain amount of of the necessity. Well, everybody has a right to the essentials for a, a decent quality of life. This was a gift that was given us by God. And we have the right to the same enjoyment of that. So it's when we start trying to hoard it all for ourselves that there isn't enough for anybody else. We just all take what we need at time and when we need it we don't have anything to worry about anyway uh, that's the first half of my show when I come back uh, we're just going to take a quick look on Twitter I haven't even gone to Twitter yet today so I have no idea what to expect and that's going to be kind of the idea for the next half of the show either I'll see things there that I want to talk about and touch on or I won't and it'll be a very second half of the show Uh, but thank you very much for joining me tonight I'll be back in just a bit. All right, everyone. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. And welcome back. Um, So that was just around the 29-minute mark where we cut it off last time. And uh, I did cover the three points that I wished to discuss. I felt I was getting a little bit lost not lost, but just that the message was getting a little lost, um, toward the end of the last call. And shortly after that, you know, I, I have written a blog post already today and you know, I always read it once after I finished writing it to check for editing and then I try to read it one more time once it goes on. Well, I do read it one more time once like from the website itself, because sometimes the different formatting, helps me to catch typos or whatever that I might have missed the first time. It really is very difficult to catch your own mistakes as a writer because you know what it should say. So your eyes tend to just want to read what you know it should say rather than what's actually on the page. Uh, But anyway, so I went back to kind of remind myself because I'm not always as attentive going over. I'm looking more for the mistakes when I reread it the second time rather than the content. And, uh, you know, a few people have read the recent post now. I've a few more hits. And uh, so I went back to read it again just to kind of remind myself of exactly what it was I was saying in today's Freelance Friday edition because it was on the same sort of theme. And what I want to stress or what I was trying to stress by the examples, that I made previously with respect to fiduciary obligations is that in every single situation, the people are literally the wealth. Okay, it's not silver, it's not gold, it's not like the resources. I mean, in a like that is the that's the real wealth. Actually, is is the resources themselves. Those those are you know the wealth isn't the money that we use to buy the food. The wealth is the food itself. And that's what I'm getting at. And the need for that food is what gives value to the food. That's what I'm trying to explain. And that makes sense across the board. Uh, I just read a story the other day because I'm trying to read the Bible from cover to cover just because I think it would be a very beneficial thing to know. And, uh, you know, there was the story of Joseph and... He ended up buying the people, he's the first person in the Bible. I'm going to use the word person deliberately there for a moment. Well, yeah, (laughs) I am. But but he buys the people because they run out of food, and he had the foresight that there was going to be drought after this period of plenty. And so he, as leader of Egypt, uh, basically made sure that a percentage of each of the farmer's crops were stored in the time of plenty and you know in the famine that followed everybody was 100% dependent on them they all ran out of their own food and the people of Egypt ran out of all of their own possessions and had already sold them in exchange for food had nothing left and the famine still wasn't over and so they actually sold the wealth of their lives and their kin so they're you know they're like generations they've just enslaved an entire people (laughs) Uh, yeah, true story. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I guess that's not shocking for people who are familiar with the Bible. I, you know, it was shocking for me because I'm not that familiar with the Bible. I, I, mean, I know a lot of the main stories, but I've never read it cover to cover, which is why I'm doing that. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> it was a fascinating story though, because although it is the concept of taxes, I was also considering that, you know, with respect to what I had just set up before the break, um, and this idea that we're supposed to create more, you know, we're supposed to take something and make it more prosperous than it was more fruitful than it was before. And, you know, one of the positive takeaways from that story about Joseph Joseph enslaving the people, um, because from that point forward, everything they grew on all of their fields, uh, they would be required to give one fifth of it back to Joseph. And it was, you know, and that was the reason why he was doing it he was like you you didn't have the foresight to see for the for the damage so now you're going to give a percentage of your crops to me and i'll take care of you if this happens again yeah. <laughs> basically uh you know and so like that's kind of like the introduction to the taxation system but if we were not living in a taxation system um the principle of that would be very much the same because that's exactly what the It's a great metaphor for what the taxation system and the public trust is supposed to be. The entire wealth of the public trust is exclusively determined by the government's judiciary obligations to their people, regardless how they express those obligations in legal arguments in the House of Commons or by whatever bills they pass or whatever budget they create. But that's essentially what that is the budget that they create. They are, it's like a contractual consensus, if you will, on the needs of the people over the next period of time. You know, the budget is annually, right? So they're agreeing that these are the needs of the Canadian people. Okay? That's the premise for how it works. I understand it doesn't work that way in our world right now, Uh, you know, because they're catering to, to corporations. But this is the point is that. All of that money that they do borrow, they are only able to do that because it has been determined by the people that we've approved this budget because the people want it, the people need it, whatever the case may be. Okay, so that's what it is. The people have agreed that this is what what's a priority for Canada. And so because we agree that, the people are the wealth. So, you know, we can have whatever we want. But the politicians act as like the interference barrier on that and so they take advantage of that by keeping more of it for themselves and paying off their corporate friends mm-hmm. than they care about giving it back to the people. That's what happens. Uh, but anyway, the concept of, of taxes would be that everybody would be expected all the time, you know, basically to create whatever it is that they do. And for me, I'm going to use the example of SNRs because you know, this is the truth of, of what it is for me, because that's like, that would naturally be my craft. You know, I would want to write and share my ideas and my philosophies with the world or whatever. Um, And even that in in and of itself, there is no point in writing a book or, you know, talking, doing a podcast like this, if there is no intent to better man's kind with that information that you're sharing. You know, whether it's for entertainment's sake, like a fantasy book and something that's just enjoyable reading, or whether it be for the sake of, you know, Um, self-improvement and you know or learning a new craft or whatever the case may be so those things have value for me as an artist um, the concept of taxes would be reflected by you know in a sovereign system where everybody's just kind of doing and, and dedicated to their divine purpose or whatever yeah you know everything that i Need as basics would be provided for me. I'd have the canvases I need to create great work. And, you know, generally what inspires me to paint in the first place is because having my own apartment decorated with artwork, it changes the energy of my apartment. Everybody knows that, right? So I, you know, I want to liven up my own space. That's what got me started painting, really, truly. I had no idea that I would be any good. I don't really think I'm that good, to be honest. Uh, but I like I like what I create enough because it brightens up my space. And the fact of the matter is, eventually my walls get full and I still wanna paint. And so, you know, I might paint something new to replace something that was on the wall before. And if I have no one to give it to, you know, that's kind of a waste, and so that's kind of what I mean. Is that you know, once my own walls get full, I'm still going to want to paint, and even if I don't want to give my new ones away right away because I want to see them on my own walls first or something, I'm going to take one down probably, and you know, you know, give it to somebody who really really appreciates it, um, and you know, I, we don't have to get stuck on this idea of money, anyway. So I wanted to share that. Got uh, this paragraph with you about um, housing services and their response because I am going to be suing them, and the reason I'm going to be doing that is because I really am forced against a wall. I gave the matter a little bit more consideration this morning, and the fact that I'm waiting on this package um, because really they're they're you know if I don't get it filled out and returned to them by the 18th they're threatening to cut off my subsidy so. You know they haven't responded to me and you know i'm kind of in limbo right because i'm waiting for this package i can't do anything until i get it and so i explained that i was trying to you know i always try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and i know enough to know that not responding is not the best thing to be doing absolutely but i've tried to you know kind of write it off and think okay you know what maybe they just immediately clearly understood that what they were asking me was unreasonable and they you know chosen to cease and desist everything that may well even be the case okay but the fact that they haven't contacted me yet and the fact that this is a government office and a service office of the canadian government service ontario service canada the ministry of community and social services (laughs) the city of ottawa um housing services like these are government service agencies that have a do like exclusively their position of office is to serve the people directly to respond to questions about the contracts that you are engaged in with them specifically. I don't expect how, you know, Ontario Works Act to know any uh, obligations outside of Canadian law and the Ontario Works Act. Same thing applies for housing services, but when I express those laws and they continually just ignore them and presume that their, you know, corporate policies are superior, that's demoralizing, it's insulting, it's degrading, it's unacceptable (laughs) from a government service employee. It truly is. And it like any common person would know that by not responding to me and saying at least, you know, like that day, they should have gotten back to me right away. You know, if they're really good at their job and they're professionals and and it was an honest mistake, they didn't know that I hadn't received the package or something, you know, the smartest thing to do and the professional thing to do, forget about the law, the professional, smart, etiquette thing to do would be to get back to me that day, And say, we're going to have a new package off for you immediately. And email us the moment you send it. And we will wait until it's returned before we, you know, something. But they should immediately respond. Even if it's only to say that they they are sending a package today. And we'll respond to the rest of my email at another time. Something. Because every day that they don't they are compounding the anxiety and the stress that's associated with the possibility of the threat that they're going to, you know, terminate my subsidy to no fault, no fault of my own and nothing I can do to stop it. So legally speaking, there are timeframes before things can be done. And generally I've suggested to people that, um, what the court is going to deem to be acceptable timelines are going to be the same ones that apply to the rules of civil procedure. And so service upon somebody, you have 20 days to respond. I'm going to say that from the day I receive the final notice, I should have a minimum of 20 days to respond. Okay. And that's if they had sent any other notices, because if they did, I sure didn't receive them. And I don't believe that they did. I'm asking for proof of that and those receipts because I don't believe that they did and that this is just some kind of, yeah, that they're willfully harassing me. So anyway, here's what I wrote today on this point, which gives rise to my final decision to bring a lawsuit against the city of Ottawa and housing services. And maybe I haven't made up my mind yet, but I might just, make it all inclusive and go after Ontario Works at the same time. I'm not sure if I want to wait till the end of this month to see if I hear anything from Ontario Works. But again, it occurred to me while I was thinking about all of this stuff how having all of this stuff sitting in limbo is in its own way just creating its own anxiety as well. So, I, you know, one way or the other, I want an end to this. And the courts, one way or the other, are going to provide remedy. By not responding to this is so this is what I wrote today. <laughs> By not responding to my notice and remaining silent, they are demonstrating further incompetence and a serious lack of professionalism. <clears throat> Every day I do not hear a response or receive email from them is compounding my mental duress as the deadline draws near, at which point they are threatening to revoke my housing subsidy. <clears throat> I don't know why this keeps happening to me. <laughs> Every t- my voice is fine until I get on the call. Uh, They cannot possibly lack sufficient common sense to know this is causing me serious mental duress, and I'm absolutely fed up with adults receiving the people's money to provide services to fulfill their fiduciary obligations not satisfied by the province while treating the people who warrant the very need and purpose of their salary and position in the universe with such contempt and disdain for their well-being. That's the point I wanted to make earlier. The behavior of all housing services and Ontario work staff has been childish, inappropriate, and above all, unacceptable by any terms. And I'm going to do something about it. So that's kind of what I wanted to get out on the free verse Friday edition, was to let you know, um, I don't know, how a situation like this motivates me and, you know, eventually causes me to take action and this is i think also an example of how we can use um, adversity to our advantage so uh all right i'm uh, gonna (laughs) sign off for now thank you very much for being here i know we haven't checked out twitter yet i'm going to take a quick look and see if there's anything worth talking about and if there is we'll get to that after the break if not I'll be back to say goodnight and uh, wish you a good weekend. tight. All right, everyone, welcome back. And you know what? We are going to do a bit of Twitter. I'm not sure how much. This could be very brief. But uh, <laughs> the first thing I saw when I went to Twitter, I checked my notifications. And this is by uh, Brett Wilson. He's a journalist, I believe. Uh, I can't remember what publication for at the moment. Uh, Anyway. Um, And he's responding to this comment. I really wish Canadians saw the government for what it really is, an organized crime syndicate. And then uh, (laughs) Brett Wilson replies rather somewhat wittily. Witty? I don't know. Wittily? (laughs) Actually, a disorganized crime syndicate, he says. I thought that was good because it's true. It's true. They're disorganized, but they are definitely criminal. Um, Okay, so another one. I appreciate this, but it's strange from the government that locked up three pastors. Okay, so at 9 a.m. Friday, the Premier and Justice Minister are scheduled to announce details about a program to help protect religious and multicultural organizations targeted by hate-motivated crime. Ah, uh, yeah, the irony. Interesting, no? Yeah. So yeah, they jail three pastors and then want to criticize, uh, you know, multicultural organizations targeted by hate-motivated crime, religious and multicultural. That's uh, very interesting because they not just attack religious organizations recently. Um, mm. Is there anything else here worthy? Maybe not. Okay, not in the notifications anyway. I'm going to go to my profile, see if there's anything interesting there. Uh, Mind you, I think my profile is really just stuff that I've retweeted, so uh, probably not too much right now, because I haven't been on Twitter much lately. Uh, Okay, well you know what, I'll read this one as a final thought before I go today. Uh, this is uh, a tweet by Theo Fleury, ex-hockey player. Uh, lawyers and medical experts worldwide say they have all the evidence they need to convict World Health Organization, CDC, uh, PHE, whatever that is. Um, yeah, Bill Gates and the world leaders of crimes against humanity. So there you go. That's uh, that's a thought to end the show with this week, and. Well, I wouldn't mind seeing manifest if uh, I had my will. Anyway, thank you very much for being here for this fabulous Free verse Friday edition. Uh, yeah, i got lots of exciting stuff coming up. There's a lot more work to do on the new, new Unguru platform. Um, yeah, a lot more work than I knew. Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> It's still a, a, a much bigger work in progress than I thought and uh, I'm not disappointed about that though because uh, it gives me the time to create the kind of content that I want and really I'm you know kind of getting in on this at the ground up and I do believe it does have incredible potential. Uh, we, I was on a Zoom call looking at some of the new features and everything of the site today and really I guess once it's fully completed It really is going to be much like a, you know, I I don't like using Facebook as a comparison because it's not like Facebook and it is like Facebook in the sense that it's something like it but not. (laughs) Uh, It's that without the advertising and without everything else that, you know, Facebook brings with it. Uh, So that means that there is going to be um, a live broadcast show. That part of the site is not working yet. So that's why... There's a bit of a delay on the podcast because the audio video program for the site isn't integrated by the coding people yet or something like that. Uh, Yeah. I'm not the tech person, so I don't know what's going on there, but that's what they're working on. And I've seen what it's going to be looking like when it does get up and running and Yeah, basically it looks very much like a Zoom call meeting kind of thing, but that's going to be on the actual platform. So Brian would be, Brian and myself. uh, And this, again, is my friend Brian Glenn Parker, which I'm also very excited to be talking about because I actually started promoting his show here uh, before I even had this opportunity or knew that he would also potentially be a part of it, and he is. And now he's also going to be, gonna be basically co-hosting the show together on Sundays at 10 a.m. and uh, yeah and it's going to bring a lot of uh, it's gonna bring a lot of people from a lot of different uh, areas of expertise and knowledge and I think that's going to be super beneficial so that's still in the works as well uh, I've got my book coming out I'm going to be creating courses and I am officially, that you know, really the big news of today is that I am officially going to be filing a claim into the courts against Canada's government, and that was like really, truly, honestly, a very last resort kind of move that I wanted to do. I I don't really want to do it, Um, but realistically speaking, if I continue to hear nothing, which is what I'm expecting at this point now, Uh, I don't think they're going to respond at all to me. Um, But I don't know if that means that they're planning on cutting off my subsidy or if it means that they are just going to acknowledge that what they did was wrong and, and they're never going to ask me questions again until next year. I don't know what it means. And the fact that I have to worry about that right now is substantial enough to me in the way of harm and just the way it's affecting my ability to concentrate on the on these kind of things that I want to do in my life right now. That was that was the decision this morning. It's like, no, this has to stop. You know, this is ridiculous. The behavior that they're demonstrating is is speaking to something of a five-year-old. Not even a five-year-old would do a better job of knowing how to respond to somebody in, in just a basic conversation. So <clears throat> that ideally I want to have ready to file and, I, and i'm not gonna lie i'm a little bit nervous about it but i mean I, like i said i've got the word processor open and uh, i've got the form and really <laughs> it's pretty straightforward you just kind of fill out the form you put in the claim there's like there's you know a couple other sheets that you need to include with it afterward to close it out but it's pretty straightforward and so is my claim so I should have that ready to file into the court for Friday of this week. And that is right now the tentative plan because that's also when they're threatening, you know, that's when my deadline is for them. So if they don't respond to me by then, I want to have a lawsuit filed by the end of that day. That's my goal. So that's something to look forward to next week because of course you will be getting uh, first dibs on you know what's in that lawsuit and uh what's involved in putting it together and all that kind of stuff because that's the kind of thing i you know <laughs> ideally started this show to do was to show people how to basically defend your rights uh and you do it well enough hopefully you don't ever have to go into court but when they don't listen to you as the city of ottawa is choosing to do in this particular situation and they threaten your well-being you know I'm being, my back's up against the wall. They haven't hit me yet, but my back's up against the wall. And I don't want to wait until they throw the first punch at this point. I'm just tired of the harassment. So, And I'm tired of their complete lack of regard for due process of law. Because everything I have done has been 100% in accordance with how one should uh place someone non-notice, and all that good stuff in a common law jurisdiction. So all that coming up in the near future. Thanks for being here. I hope you're getting something out of these podcasts, and uh, I look forward to sharing a lot more information with you in the future. Thanks a lot for being here. Good night.